Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo, yo, yo. And freelance writer and critic of Rotten Nehru. Hello, people of the world who are everywhere. We've got a few exciting things that are happening this week. We're talking about the Sydney Film Festival. It is back first release. This festival's running through August. However, we know some of the films that are out, so we're going to be chatting about some of the highlights. We're also going to be talking about um, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I kept getting the title confused, but it is the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard in cinemas now. God help us. And also later talking about two, uh, I guess, controversies that have beset the DC and Marvel Universe respectively about how studios associated with the brands have objected to certain intimacy, intimate acts, whether they be in narratives or in real life. Gives us an opportunity to get up on our soapbox and complain about uh, comic book movies in Hollywood again. Yes, corporates have ruined cinema. Yeah, any excuse, excuse will do. And also just to note, happening locally next Tuesday is Kino Sydney 158. So get your flicks in. Uh, we'll be there and watching some cool short films. But first, we want to talk about the Sydney Film Festival. We missed a full festival run last year. It is happening this year. They are running a regular amount, uh, I think a little fewer films than previously, and uh, but a number of sessions, a number more sessions too. Sessions running at 75% capacity, but allowing a, a number of people as expected in any regular year to attend. So uh, it's going to be one to book early, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we are probably the ones who book the earliest anyway. We have our uh, flexi 30s ready to slot in our 30 films or... Not me. I'm always uh, grabbing last minute. (laughs) Oh, is there an extra seat? In that thing I should have booked when the program was announced. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll Swapping out last minute is actually a good idea. It's usually kind of because you sometimes realize that the films you had booked out and then, oh, the first screening is bad. That's why you book out for the second one. Right. You wait for the critical reaction. Anyway, this is hot takes yeah. about how to book for Sydney Film Fest. I, I suspect they'll be doing something like online screenings to kind of balance for the 75% capacity rule, um, given that they ran that pretty successfully last year. An online-only festival. I, and given that a lot of people are still afraid to come out, I doubt they'll be dropping that, but we'll see when the program's properly announced. Yeah, to note, there was a small city film festival run in January at the State Theatre. It was successful. Um, they sold it at the uh, state capacity. And they also, I think you had to arrive at different times for the purpose of social distancing in the line because there's quite a throng of people. So I think the uh, we're going to have to look to a different type of festival environment this year, but looking to screen as many films as they can, have as many people as possible, simply the fact that it may take, you may be able to see a few sessions, but still um, some of the best films are getting released out of Khan and Berlinale, which is pretty cool. Zola, the Twitter thread uh, that was morphed into a feature film. Yeah, there's a few films that I've been really keen to um, catch actually in the lineup. Uh, the ones I'm most excited about, um, Undine. Undine, yes, the new Christian adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also yeah. a another good uh, film by Neil Jordan about Undine, the myth. Uh, yes. One, yeah, like 10, 15 years ago. From what I'm hearing but about yeah, the this one's about Undine, really good. yeah, it's all very positive. I thought his last one, Transit, was terrific. Yeah, it's... it's a, Mixed views on Transit, but I'd watch anything from this director. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a very strong director, um, and he's on a big run of buzzed about films right now. Um, I'm also really excited to see Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, the new Yusuke Hamaguchi. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. a big proponent of his first two films, Happy Hour and Asako One Plus Two. Um, and this one's getting great reviews. 
There's also a new film from him at, in the con lineup. So potentially if they land that, we'll be seeing two films from one director at yeah. SFF. We'll see. Um, Hopefully the new Verhoeven gets to be announced, but many will and, potentially. Yeah, they haven't announced anything that's in the con official selection yet. No. So uh, yeah. we'll wait and see. I'm pretty sure the Farhadi might get a nod in because given how He always plays. Yeah. He's such a like, SFF, SFF fixture. Yeah. fixture. You, you, you'll be there. It'll be great. Yeah, um, plays, plays easy to the middle brow audiences. Yeah. That, and that's not a slide at the films. The films are great. I'm just saying they're very accessible, yeah. very um, based in dramatic tradition in a way that's comfortable and familiar you know but we haven't had many iranian films as such oh. recently but now we have two we have also have there is no evil yeah Muhammad rasuluf's film which, and he's under house arrest currently because yeah. of this film and this one the golden lion right sorry yeah. the golden bear at berlin berlin yeah so i'm excited for it it's a anthology which is bringing about four stories together mm. in uh, contemporary iran so. and it's it's about the death penalty as i understand it yeah so yeah. Intense. <laughs> More, um, it's going to be harsh criticism of the government, I'm sure. Yeah, but I think uh, this is probably the thing I love about Iranian cinema is the fact that it's able to produce such humanistic dramas, which are also incredibly piercing critique of the establishment, while it is such a closely censored environment but they manage maybe this is because of this the censoriousness of the environment and maybe it's because of iranian culture but they manage not to be didactic yeah yeah i find true. iranian films in, in yeah, they're usually very good a separation of my favorites in the past 10 years just to uh be really accessible and excellent critique and play as a pure drama absent its strong political overtones to note the iranian film festival australia is actually closes tonight oh really so i think you can catch a couple of screenings still online yeah nice yeah. Um, um, Writers of Justice, the new Mance Mickelson, keen for that. Yeah, the cool. publisher yeah. shots look good. I'm up for that. Uh, Dear Comrades, a film we've discussed privately uh, out of Russia. Uh, we have someone who, since last year, has been saying he wants to come on the show to talk about it, so maybe you'll get your chance. Yeah. Dear Comrades, Jonathan. dear listeners. Uh, <laughs> right, let's not call our listeners dear friends. No, our listeners are comrades. They're friends. Comrades in arms. Okay, fine. Right. Yes. Uh, the subject matter <laughs> of the film is very. Uh, when when, when not, our <laughs> communist revolution comes, we know who's going to be first against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, bring it. Am bring I, it, am bring I it, a guys. comrade now, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, come find us. Go, come find us. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm keen for it. August 18 through 29, Morris City Film Festival, running between all the theaters, doing. Uh, at Palace Central, too, now. Yeah, well, I guess they have to now that um, Dendy's out. But yeah, it's surprising to me that they're not running at the United Cinemas Opera Keys, which has just replaced Dendi. Um, but in a way, it's a good thing because, like, because of Vivid, I've never it. really liked. Yeah, to go to Opera Keys. I love that cinema, but man, yeah. it's such a hassle to get to because there's a, a huge crush of people because of Vivid. And when they announced that SFF was moving to August, I thought, yes, dodging Vivid. And then they announced that Vivid was moving to <laughs> August know, as well. Yes. It's just a cruel <laughs> joke. It just keeps following. Yeah. But I remember, I remember my favorite, or like you know, not probably not the favorite, but just a haunting memory of Denny Opera Keys when Chris and I were there, ten a.m. show of Elephants Sitting Still. Oh man, that was I've, I've, a that's, film. That's the place to go for the punishingly long, miserablest, bleak. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, where, where else you can do a 10 a.m. screening, well, which the, you know is going to be five hours. Well, I also did Satan Tango there at 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And that that was 
Seven and a half hours. Yeah, seven and a half yeah. or eight hours, I, th I think. 450 yeah. minutes, so yeah, seven yeah. and a half hours. Yeah, just, you know. Um, uh, there's a Lav Diaz that played there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. woman who left. I saw yeah. that there as well, yeah. actually. Yeah. And and I saw the Turin <laughs> Horse there, the, yeah. which was only two hours, 40 minutes um, yeah. from Bellatar, who did Zayn Short. Tango. Short. A short one from him. But yeah, uh, that's the place to go when you want to see. But that's the thing. But not now, anymore. Now, yeah, that's the thing. Now I don't know, because I used to love the feeling that you can just rest your thing because I used to book the aisle yeah, yeah, yeah. lean against the wall, the wall because the wall's right there have a nap and uh, that's something that I'm going to miss yeah. yeah you should just be able to fall asleep in these movies you watch such a volume it's considered perfectly okay to just sit for 10 minutes here and there and just rest it's yeah. totally okay I like that Love Diaz who did The Woman Who Left said, stated that it's okay if you fall asleep in my films I don't mind <laughs> it's understandable his, yeah. his <laughs> new one uh, which is out uh, which I've seen on Festival Scope uh, if they get picked up as well, it's going to be interesting. Is it really good? Or? It's really good, yeah. Yeah, it's, cool. It's just, you know, He's dependably good. good. He's yeah. consistently good. They're just all four hours long. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's the Film Festival coming up on August 18th. You're listening to Film Fight Club on 2SCR with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Rat Nehru. The next film we're talking about is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, the sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard. To note, um, we had a bet last time as to how many times... Uh, Sam Jackson said a particular word that starts with M. A particular word he's associated with. Can we, can we say this on 2SER? I feel like this is... This motherfucker, is, the word is We can say motherfucker because this, yeah. the context... This is it's not important. gratuitous. It's, yeah, it's, it's not. This is justified by the context, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was 15 last time. Guess how many it was? I counted again. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> You've yeah. got to do something to keep yourself entertained <laughs> in a film like this. Oh, yeah. It's, you really but it's not, it's not just Samuel Jackson that says the word. It's a lot of people have co-opted the word in this film. No, I think oh, really? he's the only one who actually says it. Others, right. people say variations thereof. How many... What's the number? Yeah. He probably only said it like seven times in Spiral from the uh, Book of Saw. Okay, for this film, I'm going to say it's more than 20. It's 22. 22? It was 14. Oh. One less than last time, interestingly. Huh. Okay. I think it was just there were all the other swearing that happened ancillary to him. So I think they felt we can even this out. Anyway, he's back along with... <laughs> he's, like, he's back. <laughs> so is so, Selma so Hayek. So is Ryan Reynolds. Um, Antonio Banderas is here now. The guy from the Avenger, Frank Grillo, is that his? Right. Is, is here. We're going to get into that. But they're all back. And Ryan Reynolds' character, the bodyguard, is having a crisis of faith. And there's a plot to destroy Europe. So, yeah, someone has this magical <laughs> USB thumb drive that when you put it into like a certain computer, like, oh, it's the power grid or whatever, it creates like magic electric lightning that makes everything blow up around Europe. No, it's called an electrical surge that knocks out the electrical grid. It's right, supposedly okay. scientifically accurate. But it results in like crashing trains and, you know. Yeah, this is what it's Y2K-esque destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, it's a deep cut for the oldies. The producers of this film, that was the thing. Remember when all the CEOs the airlines had to be on a plane at midnight in 2000 because they were like, no, no, the plane's not going to crash. Yeah, every airline. Oh, wow. It was a little tidbit of history. But no, um, this is one of those films where the producers just clearly didn't think that people would care what happens in Zagreb, uh, not just the capital in a city with people, but a major world capital. I remember in Mission Impossible 5, the Austrian president dies and just it's never brought up again. A major thing happens in the center of Zagreb and it's like never mentioned. Like, who, who cares? Yeah, Croatia, yeah, where's yeah. that? Whatever. But yeah. Clearly the, the hero of this film is Antonio Banderas. Yeah, I mean, look, he's talking. who I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So he's the villain. <laughs> he's the playing Aristotle, a beautiful Greek man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, <laughs> not, he's just like speaking. He's called Aristotle. He's not just Greek. He's called Aristotle. 
He's like yeah. the most Greek, but it's just Antonio Banderas speaking with his normal voice and accent. Yeah. Saying like, I love Greek culture. You know? Yeah. And, but oh. that's the beautiful thing about it. It's like he's not even trying, but the, it's the but this, kind of right level of camp yeah, that he is was, required he for funny. this film. He, he can do this kind of thing with a blindfold on. Yeah. Zorro. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, here... He he was very funny. That there's a bit where he talks about how like Greece will will right will be the center place. of the world. Yeah, will be yeah. the center it, of the world once again. It's such a great like <laughs> dumb screenwriter created supervillain. Oh yeah, the Greek guy who wants them to go back to like ancient Greece. Yeah, that'll be cool. Like, okay, this was Greece. Greece are the bad guy here. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like, funny. I, I, actually, this will play quite well in Athens no, and no, surrounds. No, the EU it's quite is funny. The EU is the bad guy. The EU is the bad guy. Was the Hague who were the screw ups last? time yeah. and now the EU are on what's on notice what's great about <laughs> what's, so, what's great? so ridiculous look look in an age where there actually is quite serious um ultranationalism in Greece to see someone like this taken so not seriously is actually quite fun and great I, I mean, yeah it's hilarious should we talk about the plot a bit better no, no, what else is there to say um the other driving plot is that um, Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson are having this, uh, you know, hate fest amongst each other, and there's conflict also between Sam Jackson and the Sam Hyatt character because um, she wants to start a family and she's not sure where he's up to with that, and that's a major driving um, motivational force behind all right. of her actions in the film. Look, before we completely abandon Aristotle and the quest for <laughs> Greek pride to be re restored, <laughs> we're not making fun of this. This is actually part of the no, film. that is the plot. Yeah, <laughs> I love film. it when. Um, the, it, the, there's this current trend, I don't actually love it, where you <laughs> identify a real problem, yeah. you have a villain who wants to, to counter for that, and then we just defeat the villain so everything's fine, just go back to normal. Like in Kingsman, it's like, well, climate change is uh, bad. Actually, I'm yeah. going to do something extreme and ridiculous to fight climate change. Okay, so I, we I, kill I was, that guy because he's a bad thinking, guy. But then, like, okay, so we're just not going to address the climate change. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Stare, Wait, same as Star There's still right? riots in Greece, according to the uh, the universe of this film. Like, serious <laughs> stuff going on separate to the actions of Aristotle. Right, exactly. I but oh, it's, but it's, I think in Kingsman is a good example because, you know, uh, in that film, we also had a very outlandish villain who wanted to... Right. Who was a climate warrior, uh, yeah. if anything it, else. The lefties were the baddies in that film. As they, they, as they are in the Kingsman films. But <laughs> yeah. um, in, in this one, Aristotle is anti-austerity um, measures. That's yeah. a, that's an interesting motivation yeah. that makes sense. There's great reasons to be anti-imposed uh, austerity measures, right? One, once again, it's um, like you know, kind of a left-wing policy, and it's... it's Well, th this, this, it, it's a little more debatable how that sits on the spectrum in Greece, yeah. but um, having an ultra-villain take that position is interesting in the context of Greek politics yeah. and the extent to which the EU have um, intervened and sought to um, enact reforms impacting Greece. Yeah. But this, that, we don't get into this. This is outside the scope yeah, of this This is outside the scope of this discussion. The movie is about Ryan Reynolds being Kenny from South Park. Indestructible. This is the thing. He can survive anything. They all can survive anything. Okay. okay. And not... And just... But walk away. The central gag of this film is, is Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds getting, getting smashed, grievously injured. Yeah, constantly, and, and he keeps like coming back up. One, to be clear, like it's the same gag as the first one. But but it's it felt way more extreme. Maybe it's just my faded memory of the first one, but it felt way more extreme to me in yeah, this one. Yeah, it, it definitely like, was. I um, mean, there was there was a, there was a moment which I I felt was funnier because I kind of felt like, what if he was actually dead all this? Yeah, time? me and me and Virat when we were watching it, we were like, yeah, is maybe he's actually dead, and they're doing a weekend at Bernie's thing where they're driving around which Ryan Reynolds' would be actually 
be funny. I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. But uh, you know, he gets hit by cars that they, they like throw his body. Oh, he's like, oh, he'll be fine. Throw his his drowns. unconscious. Yeah, drowns. They throw his unconscious body in the back of a car and like he falls over a seat and smashes his head against it like a, a big block of concrete and stuff like that. And it's all fine and played for laughs. It enters in. It loops back around to being funny for me. Like it's not funny in the way it's intended to be, but it's just but so gratuitous and becomes ironically funny by the end. It of kind it. of like, what, is this seriously? <laughs> Yeah. So, like, am I meant to? I know I'm not meant to take it seriously, but I'm meant to engage with this. Like, it's okay and fine watching this guy getting pulverized constantly, and none of the characters care. At, like, Sam Jackson is basically making jokes about it. Like, haha, he's dead. I, I'm not but torn also, up about not, it. But not but just also, that. He's also subjected to just you know constant humiliation. Yeah. Because he, and the thing is. I would feel bad for him. Usually when uh, movies have these kind of cruel jokes at someone's expense, it's I come to... It's always a character who's neurotic and who's somehow, you know... Yeah, yeah, he's not a tough guy. He's some really up. emotional stuff. And on this emotional stuff, yeah. Yeah. the stuff he goes through is really... We, we see in flashbacks, it's really intense, uh, but it's played for it's laughs played for and laughs. gratuitously. And the thing is that There he, was one death which is very close to the Me, Joe Black kind of oh, death. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was not... Required. We're referring also, to the outrageous scene where he gets Brad Pitt's character gets hit by multiple cars in a way that's clearly yeah, 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 yeah. staged, and there's several moments like that in this film, but, but even more gratuitous. Yeah, like the flashback about his mum's death, which is wow, so yeah. brutal. And that's like, what I was going to refer to because I was just yeah. like, uh, think think of the gorilla thing in Team America, but played out explicitly. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, his character is so annoying. Usually, when there's this kind of cruelty at someone's expense, I, I vibe against it. Like, it's like so harsh. give this guy a break. But Ryan but Reynolds' he, character he, is that despicable. I was hoping that he would just be dead and they'd be taking his body along for the ride because through the whole movie, he's just getting trashed. Like and, in, and in every would, way, and then would, at the end, he has to redeem of, himself. That would kind of have make a nice play on like Hitman's wife's bodyguard, who's been dead all this time. How he's going to protect them? That would be a much more interesting <laughs> film. We didn't get that. Um, how funny but then also we have another uh, special appearance. By yeah, yeah, character. Morgan Freeman. He's just sleepwalking through this film. He does not care. He clearly Morgan Freeman does not give a damn. He knows he this is terrible. He's cashing a paycheck. It's half self-referential and meta because there's a reference to everyone liking his voice. It's we need someone cool to be in this. You guys know Morgan Freeman. Let's bring him in. He'll enjoy this. He just kind of stands around and does stuff. The scenes where he's required to do um, interactive martial arts, I appreciate um, it's very just not well staged compared to uh, the others in the film. He does sleepwalk through this. He's on autopilot. The action in this film is not really notable. Some of the sequences, some of the hand-to-hand fight sequences are good. The problem is the camera, particularly seen in the club, the problem is the camera work is just a little too choppy. In general, I found the cinematography of this to be awful. Um, yeah, I, and it's like very plasticky. Yeah, I empathize with more and more with the super pro film people. Like when the switch to digital happened and there were some people saying like, oh, you know, um, it's something really beautiful has been lost. And I, it's I true. thought, well, yeah, that I is mean, true. It's but true because, and the teaser of the new Wonka Wai blossoms right, looks horrible as well because it's digital. Look, anyway, the, the thing yeah, that's a different I think digital can look very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I defended um, digital against such people when these debates were raging, you know, saying, yeah, but. Um, you know, the essence of the of the cinematic medium isn't like film strips. It's it's like the language, and you can do that just as well in digital. You can still have glorious cinematography, etc. But I have noticed a trend where we accept trash-looking movies. Like and this when is you, a trash. This is a trash-looking movie. movie. Yeah. Like when on film, 
um, if you, you've done a poor job with the cinematography, at least once it's recorded to film, it still has this nice, lustrous sheen. But this, uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw was another one where you look at some of the shots and it's like, man, that just looks like I pointed a camera at something without setting up the lights. That is ugly. Oh, and it's worse than that. The sequences, they could have just filmed in Italy or something that looks like Italy. There are clearly scenes that are CGI. You should not have to CGI a field, a field in uh, the middle of, I don't know, t- uh, near Tuscany or wherever. Yeah, like could they but not have gone to a real field? It gets worse where there's a scene where they're driving through Italy and they're in a car and it looks like a 50s film where Elvis is driving oh, along. yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's very clear there's a car and a backdrop. I just couldn't believe, given the three actors who are in the shot, um, uh, we're talking Hayek, Brian Reynolds, and Sam Jackson, three A-listers are suddenly looking like they're in the middle of a 50s movie. It is, yeah. Lazy. It is a cheap-looking cheap. movie. And also, the, I, I lent over to Virat during the, the scene when uh, we had the flashback to Ryan Reynolds' hilarious death of his mum. Um, hilarious in quotation marks. Which yeah, is yeah, not yeah, hilarious. Yeah. No, it's not hilarious. Yeah. Which is one of the ugliest things I've seen in a major motion picture. It looks like they've sent out the, some yeah, second the, the, unit with like a crappy DSLR or something. It's yeah, like the flashback bleached, uh, color, color grading. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It yeah. just looked, yeah, it looked horrible. Well, the whole um, film was horrible, but this was particularly horrible. It also, was horribler and a horribleus. The, the way they the way they treat <laughs> Selma Hayek in this movie, I, I, yes, I counted like yes. three oh jokes about her boobs, two jokes about her butt, like. And, and it's just so retrograde, right? Like she's just here to be like, hey, hey, she, hey, she's sexy. But also not, huh? not, not just that, she's also playing this kind of uh, uh, enhanced version of what uh, Sofia Vergara's character was reduced to in one family because she's Latino. She's the angry, angry, angry streaming Latino, Latino yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was something which was so weird. To, to, well, it's weird to just see she, it. She like, was a more detailed and nuanced character and more interesting character, more fun and, and, and a, 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 a character to watch in the first film by design mm. i think they wanted to draw a lot of the conflict out of her and did that in a very narrow and singularly dimensional way she just is yeah. there to kind of like i just want to pop out babies hold on she that, says that's a fine motivation for a person i know but she says that like that and it just feels so weird of, what's wrong with that i don't i, I don't take issue with that yeah. um i uh, something I do take issue with is the kind of characterization of the Frank Grillo character who's just from Boston and in Europe suddenly at the head of the EU investigation <laughs> task force. And with the amount, and his oh, character yeah. made no sense. It was a subplot entirely extraneous to the main core action of the group of characters we and know. And then they have Worse Scottish still, accent jokes as well. Uh, yeah, racism towards the Scottish community. Uh, they make all these jokes about how the Scottish interpreter who's interpreting um, for the American. She was easy to understand. She was easy to understand. Apparently she's not, according to this film and you know what like Scottish accents can be goddamn hard to understand like if you watch Ratcatcher especially Ratcatcher or Morven Color without the subtitles and understand every line of dialogue I dare you those are the first two features by Lynn Ramsey by the way good movies but yeah uh, she was not hard to understand she sounds like an urbanite Scot you know, she's not like from way out in the country yeah, in the seventies. Like- <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing with this character was it was underwritten, and the actress and and the act uh, some. Performers can rise rub other material. The particular actress, I don't think, did. It's very hard to, given how poorly written it was. It was just. She didn't have much let, to do. Let, let's make fun of some Scottish people because we. This, this is going to be the for this movie. No, nothing in this movie was well thought out, so it was just. It's a terrible movie. It finished. Yeah, it was, was the best part about it. it, it Frank Rillo's is the actor's name, isn't it? I'm going to look it up. I think I'm, so. I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I just want to point out something I actually did appreciate about this, and I did talk about this in the context of the last film. Um, 
Usually we have to deal with actors, not a problem, but who are quite in their 20s or early 30s. And there aren't a lot of roles for A-listers in major Hollywood set pieces, including particularly, especially for women over this over a certain age. Um, Ryan Reynolds, who's the youngest main actor in this film, is 44. The other main actors are 54, 60, 72 and 84. Yeah, wow. So cool. Good. But I also I kept thinking of Red. I think it's Morgan Freeman's appearance in this. Like oldies action movie. But there's not much action yeah. to begin like anyway. It's not it's not an action action movie yeah, either. Frank Grillo. Right. It is an action movie. It's it just it's just that the action's so bad. Yeah, okay. The action is very bad. And I remember that a couple of really good scenes in the first, particularly a scene in a as part of a restaurant in the kitchen where there was a lot of very brutal hand-to-hand combat. And that worked well. But this film had the same issues as the first film where then they can never quite decide on the acceptable level of violence in this universe. Some scenes, things just glance people. Some scenes are very, very brutal. Mm. You have to have a consistent or otherwise escalating tone, but this jumps around a lot. And it ruined a lot of the first film. At least this one had some thematic coherency in that the first film, half of it was written as a serious drama and then Ryan Reynolds came on and suddenly it's no longer a war crime thriller drama. It's a Deadpool-esque comedy. At least in this one, there was a more consistent approach, but the haphazard approach tone is still dumb comedy. Just dumb comedy. They they try to bring the emotional aspects into it. It's like we're supposed to care about these characters' backstories. But when the rest of the time they're telling you not to care at all, like in the way that they treat Ryan Reynolds' character. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he does now is a variation of Deadpool in some respect. Movies are unable to escape their formulas. I'm actually watching... In preparation of Fast 9, which we'll cover it next week, I am watching Hobbsby Shaw for the first time. Right. And he's playing, oh, God, this lousy CIA agent. Yeah, I feel like movies kind of escape their formulas these days. So uh, often you see movies, instead of tr- going for a different formula, they uh, make fun of the formula that they're still adhering to. Yeah. This is one of those sorts of movies. We um, Instead of allowing um, it just to be a dumb movie that's not, that's misanthropic and doesn't care about anyone, um, even though we've demeaned Ryan Reynolds and his pain through the entire movie, then suddenly you, you've got to have the emotional bit at the end because that's what happens at the end of these movies. It's supposed to like care. You are unable to escape from that formula, even though this movie is 100% not that. Talking about carefully controlled formulas and uh, people controlling products, yep, I think so it's a nice segue into our next... Yep, so The Hitman's Bodyguard is in cinemas now. You're listening to Film Fight Club on 2CR. Uh, in the last few minutes, we want to talk about a story that broke in the past day and how it relates to a not unrelated story that broke last week in relation to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The story that broke today, I saw it in Variety, is that uh, regards a Bat- Harley Quinn animated adult series, uh, people involved in production have reportedly said that Bat- we cannot depict Batman going down on Harley Quinn. But Catwoman. Catwoman. Sorry, Catwoman. Yeah. Catwoman. Because heroes don't do that. Because heroes don't do that. Because we'd be able to sell toys. I wish it was my line, but I, I saw a few people <laughs> jump out with the, the response to like, that's exactly what heroes do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. true. Like, um, But the, the weird thing about it is Batman has been depicted having sex in comics. Yeah. yeah. But like, in recent years. The killing joke. And with no but and also and one of the best scenes in Batman Returns, it wasn't a sex but, scene explicitly, but right. the sequence is out of one Catwoman. But Batman's been depicted in comics in the last five years having sex with Catwoman. Seriously. Yeah. It's, but it's, he's not allowed to go down on it, her. It shouldn't be an issue. And, and, and there's certainly, Man on top. And there's, yeah, there's certainly a broad approach to Missionary <laughs> only. <laughs> and not unrelated to what we saw happen last week with the, uh, Marvel reportedly objecting to photographs of Taika Waititi sharing friendly, um, intimate moments with um, 
it was two persons who were involved uh, in the production. Uh, um, Rita Ora and, 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 uh, and Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Yeah. And these, look, there's nothing wrong with these photos, yeah, but apparently fine. this doesn't go with the brand of incredibly sanitized, mm. uh, where, where everything has to... The, there's never been a really palpable romance or eroticism. In, I, I don't mean eroticism in an explicit way. I just mean a palpable sense of romance in any of these films. Uh, there were in the X-Men films back in 2000 with Jean Grey and Hugh Jackman. Yeah. There was in the first Spider-Man the, and even the other ones, the too. The Spider-Man films are romance films, yeah. but the Marvel films are deathly afraid of romance. Um, after the photos of Waititi and the controversy came out, some people on Twitter started doing counts of all the kisses in Marvel movies and how many of them were ever really hot. One of the things that was refreshing about Zack Snyder's Justice League is it had some, like, it was just a brief moment, but still it had some actual sensual human eroticism depicted with Superman and Lois Lane. And it's not age appropriate. It's just intimate relations between adults. Yeah. um, That's the the problem with the position we're now in where we constantly have superhero stuff shoved down our throats, including by us here on Film Fight Club right now, where we just can't stop being bombarded with superhero content and superhero discussions and superhero, 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 is that it's almost like there's a demand that we as adults take it seriously, but the content is stubbornly refusing to be adult. The content has to be childish. That's what these corporate mandates are telling you. The content cannot explore the human experience in depth, and that includes sexuality. It's it's kids' cartoons. Because it's also not just that. It's also because it's so corporatized where you cannot be sure that this might offend someone. So you are appealing to the broadest common denominator, which is why it has to be sanitized to a certain extent. They just want to sell toys. So that and is not that kind of toys either. So that is <laughs> our <laughs> so that is our latest uh, views on the state of the superhero universe. Nothing's changed. Still hate them. We'll be back next week covering Furious 9 as well as In the Heights, the new Lin-Manuel Miranda musical adaptation. Hitman's Bodyguard is in cinemas now. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, excuse me. <laughs> and you can go check out the Sydney Film Festival pre-program. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Let us know what you want us to fight about. And please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Varat Nehru on 2SCR. Have a wonderful night and enjoy movies. Good night. Bye.